turn in your worship guide to page 12. We'll also, uh, if, you, if you'd like to use your own Bible or Bible app, you can turn to the 91st Psalm. And then we'll also have the text on the screen. I'm going to read the text that's written. And this is, um, this is what I call an in-between sermon. So this is a sermon that's kind of a one-off in between our previous sermon series and the sermon series we're going into. Uh, and I'll offer it to you, offer this scripture to you more than anything uh, with a pastor's heart to meet you where you are. So I hope that you receive primarily the reading of the word uh, as God's word to you. So would you listen with open ears as I read these words from this book that we most dearly love. Hear now these words. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler you will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place. The Most High, who is my refuge, no evil will be allowed to befall you. No plague will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, we come to this time and we sit under these words Lord, and I recognize that as we sit under these words, we have all kinds of different uh, thoughts and feelings and reactions to them. Lord, some of us are here and we are so eager for your very presence. We are eager to know you more deeply. We are eager for your words to take root in our souls and give life to us spiritually and to direct us in the way that we should go. Others of us are here, Lord, and, and frankly, you're irrelevant to us. We're, we're, we don't believe in you. We're not sure if you're real. And if you are, we're not sure that we care. And Lord, I, I recognize further that uh, some of us are here and we are in a season of great turmoil, uh, of great devastation, of great suffering. And it's difficult even to pay attention to these words. And others of us are here and we're in a season of blessing and rejoicing and thanksgiving. Lord, I pray that whatever place we find ourselves in today, whether we are here with spiritual vitality or spiritual devastation, whether we are here uh, in, in joy or in great sorrow, I pray that you would give us grace to see that in the way that matters the most, that we all do ultimately come the same, with an overwhelming and an unrelenting need to hear from you, to be changed by you, 
And Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to show us how you have been and are at work in the person of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning and great to be with you this morning. Uh, if you're new here over the past couple of weeks, I do work here. Uh, been away for a couple of weeks, but glad to be with you. And if you are new here, I'd love to get to know you sometime. Uh, part, of, part of introducing myself to you, I'd like to share with those of you who are new and remind those of you who are not new of how it is I understand uh, the call of a pastor to be fleshed out in his congregation. Right, just, just so we're clear, if you're you know, new here and you're saying, I don't know if I want to be part of this church, I don't know how you know, the leadership thinks about their job, or if you are not new here and you're wondering, is this really still for me? I don't know. I just want to remind you, if you're, if you're not new, and I'll tell you if you are new, how I understand the job of a pastor to work, how, how I've internalized it. And the way that I articulate it is, I see my job as being focused on your spiritual joy in God, your peace walking with him to be deepened and to increase. That is the summary of what I am working for, right? That's what I want. I want you to walk out of this room and I want you in 50 years to say, because of my time in this community, I have a deeper peace, a greater joy with God than I previously did, especially as I have walked through the fire. That's, by the way, how you know that you have actual joy in God and not joy in, like, you know, a big bank account, for example. One way you know the difference is that you, you have joy and peace even when you are walking through great suffering and great hardship and great trial. That's how you know, right? If you're in a season where everything's great, I rejoice. But you probably have no idea whether you have actual joy in God or whether you simply have joy in your circumstances, Right? If you're in a season of great hardship, great suffering, you're actually able to discern that a little bit better. So that's what I want in general. And as I was considering what scripture to bring to you this morning, I landed on this because as I was reflecting over the past 18 months or so, it's occurred to me that there's been a reality in our world and in our congregation in specific that has had a greater threat to my mission, to your joy, to my joy, than anything else, and that is the reality of fear oftentimes working its way out in anxiety, right? So no matter, you know, no matter what, what, what it is that, that you're saying, you know, over the last 18 months, no matter how, what side of various debates you fall on, what I've noticed is that folks of all kinds, all different shapes and sizes and perspectives and viewpoints have all struggled with fear in particular over the last 18 months. And that's kind of what I've noticed, but I wondered, I said, is there any data to back this up, right? Is there, has anyone done any analytics on this? And I looked to our trusty uh, Centers for Disease Control, and this is what they say. They say, over the past, this was done in, in June of last year, the height of the pandemic, they said, Elevated levels of adverse mental health conditions, substance abuse, and suicidal ideation were reported by adults in the United States in June of 2020. The prevalence of symptoms of anxiety disorder were approximately three times those reported in the second quarter of 2019. And the prevalence of depressive disorders was approximately four times those reported in the second quarter of 2019. They do go on to qualify that there's some 
concerns they have about their uh, research method. But I think that what is at least clear about their statistics is that the pastoral hunch I've had and my anecdotal experience among you bears out that we have been in a season that has been characterized, at least in part, by fear, right? The number of people that I check up on now and ask the simple question, hey, how is your anxiety today? I have people in my life that I check up on, people check up on me, right? The number of people that I check up on has dramatically increased over the last year, right? And again, and that's irrespective of your, of your work, uh, of your viewpoints, people on every side of every uh, debate that we've been having in our country, I think, have experienced this. And friends, I'll tell you that pastorally speaking, right, the place that God shows up according to this passage, according to his holy scripture, according to the words on this page, the place that God's presence shows up and meets with you and deals with you and directs you is precisely in times of fear, right? That's where he works. So if, you're, if you want to be a disciple of him, right, whether you're here as a Christian today or you're considering uh, the call of Christianity, the place that he will show up, the place where you will meet him is precisely in the place of your deepest fears. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to ask you to take a moment and to ask this question, where am I experiencing the greatest disturbance? Right? Where am I experiencing the greatest fear this morning? What's been the theme? Because that is precisely, from my sense, what God wants to deal with you on this morning. Uh, this passage is one of, in my opinion, is one of the most significant passages in all of Holy Scripture as relates to the subject of fear. Right Now, I know I say that almost every week. This is the most significant passage in Scripture, right? However, I think I have some good reason to convince you of that this morning, right? Uh, if, if you're familiar with Bible literature, you'll know that this is the passage precisely that Satan himself seeks to discredit to the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Imagine, Satan could have picked any Bible verse to discredit to the Lord Jesus Christ, but he goes to this passage. If you remember, Satan, Jesus is on the temple, and Satan says, jump off this temple because God says he will command his angels concerning you to bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. That's here in our passage. So this is the place that from the satanic strategy... He says, if I can discredit this text, I will have the greatest impact in my mission. And friends, I, I want to point out the obvious to you, which is that if Satan did that with the Lord Jesus Christ, with him who, who knew no sin, him who was absolutely righteous, are the chances not high that he is likewise doing that in your life today? Right? And that brings me to my next point, which is that this passage brings with it some of the most profound interpretive difficulties, practically speaking, that many of you are now going over in your head, right? Many of you are saying, oh, is Darren going to answer my objections to this passage, right? That's, that's okay. You should be doing that, right? Make me work for a living, okay? Well, let me coast here. You should be asking those questions, and you deserve answers to those questions, right? So for you, 
you are struggling with all kinds of doubts about this passage, and this is precisely the passage that Satan himself and all of his evil and all of his wickedness and all of his perverted mission seeks to discredit. Okay, so not only does this passage have difficulties, but chances are high that there is a very evil presence seeking to discredit its message to you this morning, right? And has been throughout your walk with Jesus Christ. So this is a tough order, but I believe that this passage does unlock a key to your spiritual joy, particularly in times of great difficulty. So I want to invite you to look at it with an open mind, bring your questions, bring your objections. I will do my very best. You know, not sure I'll answer all of them, but I will try to do my very best giving you uh, some explanation on it. But I hope that it is able to unlock for you the joy that I believe God intends. So I want to look at it under three headings. Number one, the invitation. Number two, the promise. And then thirdly, the fulfillment. So the invitation, the promise, and the fulfillment. Let's look at it together. Verse one. And by the way, if you don't have your Bibles open, you really are going to need them. So invite you to look either in your worship guide or in a Bible at Psalm 91. Number one, the invitation. Verse one. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Right? He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. What is he saying? He's saying if you seek to live in communion with God, you will experience his shadow. Well, what's the shadow? What is that all about? Well, he'll go on to flesh this out. He'll say his wings will cover you. He uses all these metaphors. His wings will cover you. You will be protected, right? The word shield will be used, right? And in case this is relevant to any of all y'all, he will talk about immunity towards pestilence, okay? A fun, fun topic for today. He says, if you dwell in God, you will experience a kind of divine protection described in the word shield, right? Pinions, which is, you know, less commonly known today. Uh, and then he will talk about having angelic assistance, right? Summoning angels to come to your side. And friends, this invitation is really exceptional in the Old Testament literature, right? This, this invitation that says, if you dwell in God, you will experience a kind of protection from him. That, that's exceptional in the Old Testament. Why? Because in the Old Testament, to draw near to God was a fairly fearful thing, right? When the priest would go into the Holy of Holies, right, they were, they were, that was a precarious thing to do, to enter God's very holy presence in the Old Testament. This was not something that anyone would do flippantly and frankly, this is not something that would be terribly common, right? The, you know, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies once a year. And so this passage stands as a contrast in the Old Testament where it invites even the lowliest person, the lowliest follower of, of Old Testament, holy, righteous God, and it invites the lowliest person, the person who doesn't have it together in any way, to say, you are invited to dwell in God, even though it was precarious for the, uh, 
for the professionals to do, right? So it stands exceptional in that regard. And friends, that same message is 10,000 times screamed to you this morning, right? In the age of Jesus Christ, in the age of his resurrection, the age of forgiveness, the message of Christ to you this morning is come and dwell. Come and live in his shadow. Live under his holy protection, right? You are invited to dwell in him. Now, what does that mean to dwell in God, right? What does that mean? Well, I think that we get a little bit of a sense for it in Another difficult passage in the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians 5.16, one of my favorites, where Paul is just throwing out exhortations to the church, right? He's just, you know, just a drive-by, exhortation, 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 giving them all kinds of things to think about as they live their lives in communion with God. And one of the things he says that many of you have had a hard time with is he throws out this little statement, oh, and by the way, pray without ceasing, right? Never stop praying. And friends, what I think he's getting at is that you are designed to live in a kind of existential communion with God such that your prayers never really stop, right? It's not saying that you're like getting in car accidents all day, you know, because you're just closing your eyes while you're driving. I can't can't stop driving to pray, you know, too bad I can't afford full self-driving beta from Tesla yet. That's, by the way, once that's out, I do want you to close your eyes and pray. No, just kidding. Okay. Right? But we don't do that. We don't just close our eyes. We don't just walk through life closing deals with customers, right? Talking to, you know, angry church members, right? And just, you know, oh, I can't hear you. I'm praying right now. We don't do that. But there's a kind of existential aspect to the reality that we are called to live our lives in a kind of communion with God that's characterized by prayers that never really stop, right? That's characterized by asking the question, God, what are you saying to me in this moment? Or saying, God, I'm going to be interceding for what I need in this moment on a regular basis, right? And the idea is that we're designed to live in a kind of existential communion with God that's captured in this passage with the word dwell, right? That we live in God, right? There was, there was a saying the reformers would like to use called quorum Deo, right? Living under the face of God, living in his presence. And the promise of this passage is, the invitation is, is that if you live here, that you can experience a certain kind of peace that is remarkable and extraordinary in all the experience of the world right? That is the promise, is that you can experience a certain kind of peace characterized by a confidence in God's protection, right? So let's look at the promise, and this begins in uh, verse 3, right? He says, he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. And then hear this promise today. How about this one? You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. Do you hear how he is describing the times of the day? Right? There's a certain kind of fear at night, 
and there's a certain kind of fear in the morning, and there's a certain kind of fear around lunchtime. And he's saying, whatever your fear du jour is, whatever it is where, where Satan is doing business with you today, God says, if you make him your dwelling place, if you live in him, that he is very active in that moment, in that circumstance, in that situation, to deal with the threats against you in a substantial way, right? That's the promise. Now, most of you are sitting in your seat saying, I don't believe it. We'll deal with that in a second, right? Most of you are sitting in your seats saying, I don't believe that. I have a problem with that. We'll get to you in a moment, okay? Just hang tight, okay? But that is the promise, friends. That is what he's saying. He's saying, when you are... When you are falling, angels will be summoned. When you're being attacked, shields will be raised, right? When folks are plotting against you at night, right, he will be there. So that is the promise, but it does come with it all kinds of difficulty that we will uh, look at here in a moment. And friends, I kind of wrestled with pointing this out, but what the heck, you know? This is, I got to live what I'm preaching here. You know, and I just want to tell you as a pastoral word, that I have been on a journey with fear over the past 18 months, right? You know, if coronavirus was its own uh, trial for you, different trial for ministers, right? But starting in about September of last year, began having a very physical response to just things that we were facing uh, as a church, things that I was facing personally. And for me, I've been on a journey having to confront my fears and uh, having to ask the question, you know, Darren, do you really believe the scriptures? And so I've been on this journey, and I'll offer you this word out of that journey, right? And, and part of that is saying, look, I want to repent of, of, of this impulse to not say things to you that will make you angry. So congratulations, I'm going to try to make you angry this morning, right, as I repent. So I want to just uh, point something out here for you this morning, very relevant, is that we have been, as I said, characterized in a season of fear, and in particular, fear over pestilence, right? We have been in a season of fear, and in particular, fear over pestilence. And friends, what I want to say to you this morning is that this passage actually addresses this in specific, right? It addresses the fear over pestilence in specific, now, what am I saying? Well, I want to tell you that um, someone that we worshiped with, right, someone that my family worshiped with in a previous church, is in critical condition right now because of coronavirus. So as I say this, I am not in no way dismissing uh, the reality of this condition. Right? I'm not in no way dismissing the reality of it. Um, and I, am, I do think uh, that this is something that is, is very fatal uh, some of the time, right? And I'm not going to get into the science parts of that. You can find that on your own. But I want you to know I'm not dismissing it. But on the other hand, this passage drills in specifically, and it says the Christian should not be controlled by fear. Okay? That, is what, that is the word of Christ to you today. Right? That Yes, this is a very fatal disease at times for certain people, I, I understand. Right? Someone we know is in critical condition, does not look good, this is a very real thing, but at the same point in time, the Christian should not be controlled by fear. Now, secondly, um, some, of, some of all y'all 
are, are sitting here thinking like, Darren, you're not making me mad. You're making me excited, right? Because I've been really angry at people controlled by fear over this thing, and you're just preaching my gospel. And to you, I would say, right, have you been afraid of the response to this virus? Have you been afraid of your freedoms being confiscated? Right? We talked to someone on our, on our vacation who, you know, their kids got coronavirus, wife got coronavirus, very difficult, and then their business suffered all kinds of loss because of New York's restrictions. Apparently, New York is kind of a restrictive place, I, I understand now. Even rural New York. These people are in, I don't even know what town it's called, but somewhere rural, and they said New York, and they were telling us and explaining to all the reactions, all the things. It sounded like a different country, frankly. It sounded significant and severe. And these folks, having experienced actually a fairly difficult um, encounter with this virus, actually were more afraid of losing their business, uh, of the experience their children were having in college, than they were of the virus itself. Right? My, my pastoral word to you this morning is, wherever you, whatever is making you afraid, and for some of you it's different things, the word of Christ to you this morning is, do not let that God is not intended fear to control you, whatever it is, right? You're afraid, of, you're afraid of losing your business. You're afraid of losing freedoms. The word of Christ this morning is God has not called you to live in a spirit of fear, right? That is unbecoming of the Christian because of the promise of this passage. And likewise, as we think about the reality of this virus, and some of you have known people who have lost their lives or suffered greatly, Right? As you are con concerned about experiencing the same things yourself, you should, you should take precautions, be responsible in the ways that you are convinced of, but you should not allow fear to control you, right? And if it is, right, this passage would direct you back to God's presence, okay? That's the basic pastoral word. Now, for some of you, the, the existential fear has nothing to do with anything that I'm talking about, and that's great right? But what is it for you this morning? What are you afraid of? And how is it controlling you? How is it exercising dominion over you? This passage calls you to take a step back and to seek an encounter with a holy God who says, I will command my angels concerning you. I will be your shield. I will deliver you. Is this passage a reality in your thinking? Now, on to those great objections that y'all have, all y'all have, right? Some of you, you know, you're sitting here thinking, and I, I've heard these objections in my preparation saying, Darren, um, I know Christians who have died from a disease, whether it be coronavirus or something else. And yet this passage says, no plague will come near your tent. I, I can tell you people that that's not true of. Some of you have read the stories of pastors in Afghanistan who have been executed, right? No, no evil will befall you at night. So Darren, how in the world are we to think about this? Right, some of you are thinking, I I've had profound loss in the last year. How am I to wrap my mind around this in light of this passage, right? Well, that is, those are great questions. And what I would point out again is that those are particularly the questions that Satan raises to our Lord Jesus Christ, aren't they? 
He says, do you really believe this? And if you do, he says, you'll jump off the temple and see what happens. So how are we to think about this? Well, I think that the Apostle Paul addresses this exact question in the eighth chapter of his letter to the Romans. Right, so I often recommend memorizing uh, the eighth chapter of Romans. If you haven't looked at it in a while, it might be a good place to actually use to practice this passage, practice dwelling in God's presence, looking at the eighth chapter of Romans. Let me read to you from chapter 8, verse 37. So Paul, of course, is leading a church who's experiencing profound loss, profound tribulation, profound suffering, probably not too unlike what our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan are experiencing, right? Most of us, you know, it's very non-existent, right, in terms of our, our Christian persecution. Uh, but it's not the case for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. It wasn't the case for the church in Rome, at which time Paul was writing. And this is what Paul says in chapter 8, verse 37. He says, In all these things, talking about hardship and suffering and loss, that in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ. What is Paul saying? He is saying that the fulfillment of Psalm 91 is not injured by plague, it's not injured by suffering, it's not injured by loss. Why? Why is that the case? And as I've reflected on it, reflected on the New Testament's take on it, reflected on the reality of the Old Testament, uh, I do believe the answer, of course, is in verse 16 of our passage where he says, with long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Friends, that can only be a reference to the resurrection, right? That this passage is fulfilled ultimately in the resurrection, where there is no more sickness, no more sin, no more suffering, no more death, no more cancer, no more sepsis, no more family, strife, grief, difficulties, no more death, no more mental illness, right? That in the resurrection, that all of these things will be completely abolished, will be completely annihilated. And this passage ultimately finds its fulfillment in that reality. What does that mean? So you're saying, okay, so it's in the resurrection, so it, none of it applies here today, so I'm not very helped by that. Well, friends, what that means, says the Apostle Paul, comes out in Philippians chapter 4, verses 5 through 7, where he says, the Lord is at hand. What does that mean? Sounds a lot like the fact that you're dwelling in him. Sounds like his presence is here. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then here's the promise. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The word of the apostle, the word of Christ to you is this. God gives you access to a kind of incomprehensible peace, a kind of otherworldly peace that can rear its head and be at work even in the darkest of days. 
And he says to you that you can live with courage. Right? It's another, another issue I've been reflecting on, by the way, and I want to exhort you to this. Right? The word of, my, my pastoral heart for you in, in trying to abandon this kind of controlling fear is based in the conviction that God calls us to live courageously. Right? That's the heart of it. I don't want you to, to be bogged down by fear in a controlling way. Some fear is healthy, right? But being controlled by it is not the will of Christ because he has called you and I to walk in courage, right? To walk courageously that says, I will move towards hardship. I will move towards suffering. I will not allow great financial loss to steer me away from the call of God. Why? Because I believe that with long, with long life, that Jesus Christ will show us his salvation. I believe that the power of God is at work precisely to answer us in our greatest time. And that ultimately, the fulfillment of this happens in the resurrection, and that's where it matters. That's where it matters for you and for I. So friends... This was, uh, this was the word of God to Jesus Christ, and this was precisely the word uh, that our opponent, Satan himself, seeks to discredit. And it's interesting, of course, you know, Jesus responds to the devil and he says, you know, I'm not going to put the Lord, he says, it's also written, right? Satan tried to isolate scripture and to discredit it, which is what he always does. And Jesus says, well, you know, it's also written that you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. He's like, I'm not going to test the Lord my God. But what's interesting, though, about the encounter of Jesus with Satan, right? what's, what's interesting about it is that if you look through the entire passage of Psalm 91, and all the promises of the threat by night, of those plotting your, your demise, right, of, of death itself, every single one, it seems, was what Jesus Christ himself experienced in his night of his darkest hour, right? Jesus literally was, was praying in the garden for God's protection based on this passage, and yet there were people plotting against him, and they ultimately uh, were successful in taking him to execution. So what is that about? Well, friends, of course, the, the scriptures bear out that what's happening in those moments is that Jesus is doing a transaction. He is purchasing for you and I the reality of this promise by himself experiencing the inverse. Right? So Jesus Christ on the cross, what does he say? He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You have, you know, some of the greatest fears that I've ever had is the fear of being completely and utterly forsaken by the people I know and love and being all alone. And that is, friends, that is what our Lord Jesus Christ himself experienced, the fullness on the cross, in order to purchase for you a freedom from controlling fear. That is what he is after. That is his work for you and I today, friends. And we're, as we go forward in this world that is increasingly uncertain, right, it, as, an, as an aside, right? I am concerned about uh, the reality of coronavirus. I'm also concerned about the way the world is going. The world is becoming increasingly uncertain, 
in all kinds of ways, right? Which means that, that I think, you know, there's a lot of fears that I think are very justified, right? The world is becoming an increasingly uncertain place, particularly for Christians. So that is true. As you go on and live your life, you might find that there's all kinds of new fun difficulties in the age that we're entering into, okay? That is a reality, right? So I just want you to know, you know, wherever, whatever is causing you fear, right, I, I'm not dismissing any of it. I'm saying that these are realities that we face, but the word of Christ is to not be controlled. He has not called us and willed us to be controlled. He has called us to walk with him, to dwell in him, to live in communion with him, to pray without ceasing, and then to live courageous lives of mission to a world that is profoundly and utterly and irreversibly in need of the gospel. That is the call of Christ. And I hope and pray that you will receive a deliverance from fear this morning, that your joy will be increased to the point that you will have courage to go bring that joy to your neighbors who are in desperate need of it. Can I pray for you? Let's pray. Father God, we do pray uh, and we do ask in Jesus' name that the reality of this passage would be fulfilled in us. Lord, though we are so unworthy, though we are so unbelieving, though we are so unfaithful so much of the time, we yet still have the audacity to say, because our Lord Jesus Christ purchased these things on the cross, that we are going to boldly ask of you in his name. And so I do ask, oh God, for this congregation, and I pray even for those who are here who are very far from you, who do not know you or are not sure if they know you, Lord, I pray that the power of God would descend on us afresh this morning. Pray that we would experience your very presence. Pray that it would show up in our fears. And I pray that all kinds of mission and good works and courageous acts of love and service would flow out from this place and bring life to a very dying and dead world. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.